morning. Greet you in Jesus' name this morning. I really enjoyed the opening songs, the devotional, then the Sunday school. And I'll have to admit that I didn't look at the Sunday school lesson at all, but I think with what I'm going to share this morning goes along very well with what's already been discussed. It's sometimes hard to know what to go, where to go, how to go. And uh, I'm just going to give you a little glimpse into what got my wheels spinning. It was in articles, a story, in one of my farm, mag- farm magazines that I get. And the title, of, the title of it is, It'll Cost You. It was in the middle of the summer, and the day drawn bright and sunny. It was a perfect haymaking day. We were thankful since we had a large field of hay cut to chop into the silo that afternoon. The weather forecasters were predicting heavy rain for the coming night. So we, along with a lot of other farmers, were anxious to get the hay off. We were able to start chopping shortly afternoon that day. I had chopped just two rounds off of the field when I noticed a silver color pickup driving down my field drive toward me. I wondered who that could be and what they wanted. I had one thing on my mind, and that was getting my beautiful hay off before the heavy rain was due to come that night. Needless to say, other farmers were thinking just like I was. As the pickup got closer, I saw it was my neighbor, Harley, who farmed a couple miles down the road from me. Harley had an urgent request. Could I come and bale his small field of hay? He had another farmer lined up to bale it for bale it, but the farmer had too much of his own hay to bale, so they were, there was no way that he could make it. Harley was getting out of crop farming and had just sold the baler a couple months before to me. I looked over at my own hay field and told Harley I had to get mine chopped and then I would try to get to his place and bale his hay. I told him it wouldn't be before five o'clock and though he said, and he said, if it doesn't get there before six or seven, that's fine. He would go back home and rake his hay. As he was turning to leave, I said to him, it'll cost you. He quickly turned back around with a real serious look on his face. I then asked him, do you have a couple frozen packages of bluegills in the freezer? He broke into a huge smile, and he replied that he did. Now Harley is an an excellent fisherman, and he catches a lot of fish. So I knew I wasn't asking too much. Nothing beats bluegills fried in butter. They are just delicious. Well, we kept moving fast and got the hay off. Then we hooked up Baylor up to the tractor and got down to Harley's at 10 minutes before 5 o'clock. We had done better than I thought possible. Harley was ready and waiting for me. I went right to baling, and his small field was off in less than an hour. There was an excellent crop of hay on it. 
and Harley was sure relieved to have it off. As soon as I got done, he took me to his house, pulled out two packages of bluegills out of the freezer. With that, I headed home, and that night it poured. But we were sure happy because we had our hay off. For supper the next day, we had bluegills, compliments of Harley. A lot of people think they can live their lives for self. If they hurt others, it's no big deal to them as long as they profit by it. But nothing could be further from the truth. It'll cost them. Which leads me to my meditation this morning. What will it cost? Money. Money makes the world go round. There's lots of phrases we can use. Money can't buy happiness. Money isn't everything. Thank you. Money doesn't grow on trees. You cannot serve both God and money. If I had more money, I could do... Question mark. I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 10. While you're turning there, I'm going to tell you another little story that happened to me. I was bailing hay a couple weeks ago, and the storm clouds are rolling in. I didn't have a lot to bail, but it was probably an hour or two hour, an hour, hour and a half's worth of bailing. And uh, I could tell that I didn't have a lot of time, but um, everything clicked. Everything worked just fine. And what was very interesting is as I was bailing, I was on my last wind row down in a hole and observing the storm clouds. Little did I know that it had just started raining. Little did I know that it was pretty much pouring all the way around me when I came out out of that hole. That's what gives fire zeal, appreciation to a farmer when there's storm clouds rolling and there's rain, there's lightning. I, you can fill in all the, the adjectives you want. There's something about the satisfaction of hay done under the roof and that smell, that aroma. Those that farm know what I'm talking about. I'm going to my talk isn't about baling hay this morning, but I will try to keep my hay bale tight. So stick with me. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandment. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, 
and come, take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at the saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around about and said unto the disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished, out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked upon them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all, and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sister, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake, and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold. Now in the time, houses and brethren, and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. And I'm going to stop reading there. The Bible talks a lot about possessions, talks a lot about money. I think there is roughly over 2,000 references pertaining to that. Jesus also tells 38 parables, and of those 38 parables in the Gospels are 16 of them that deal with money and possessions. The story here today, I think Jesus is driving home a deeper meaning, something that is beyond what possessions or money can buy. I find it also interesting in the beginning of our reading there in verse 17, it says, and when he was gone forth into the way. Jesus is setting out into the way. I wonder if there's any significance to that phrase. What was John the Baptist's mission? Prepare the way. And then later, Jesus' death and resurrection, the early Christians were come to known to be followers of the way. Was Mark using this phrase as a connection to a way of living? Something for you to think about. So Jesus is setting out in the way. And we have this man that comes to him, kneels before him, and says to him, Good master, what must I do to have eternal life. always find it intriguing when Jesus is asked a question, his response sometimes. He sometimes doesn't respond to the question like I would respond. Jesus sometimes gives straight out answers which seem to lead to a tangent or make an initial response that appears on the face of it. Instead, Jesus responds to this question. He says, 
Why do you call me good? Verse 18. Why callest thou me good? No one but God is good. Was Jesus trying to throw this man off? Was this man, did this man have some ulterior motives for calling him a good master so that maybe he would answer him in a way that he wanted to be heard? We can only guess. But Jesus knew this man. He could see into his heart. And he knew how to articulate and how to perceive and how to nail it right in better than what you and I can as we communicate. Jesus goes into answering this man and he he goes to the Ten Commandments that pertain to relationship with each other. He didn't go to the first four that pertain to God. He says, thou knowest the commandments. What was the question the man asked? What must I do to have eternal life? That is a serious question to ask. It's a good question to ask. Like what was brought out in the Sunday school already. There is two destinations. Heaven or hell. You hear people using the word hell very liberally, very frequently. And sometimes I feel that if they only understood in the seriousness of that word, they probably wouldn't joke about it so flippantly. I know flippantly isn't a word, but I'm going to make it a word. Well, this man, he had possessions, he was rich. And it's very interesting, you don't have to look very far into our society to see the inequality, the widening gap between the poor and the rich. In Jesus' day, there was a lot of poor people, but there was rich people too. And they were the elite people. They were probably people that owned land. And then they had servants and slaves that helped them to become rich. Their hard work helped them. Their back labor, their manual labor was a continual rake of a handsome profit for those that were rich. Did you notice that one of the commandments there that he mentioned to this man says, do not defraud? Why did Jesus say that? Do you know what it means? Defraud means illegally to obtain money from someone by deception.
I think Jesus knew this man. He knew where this man's heart was and how he got to where he was. So he gave him something to consider. It is interesting, though, that that conversation, then the reply of that man was, I have kept these commandments from my youth, or I have observed them. And he answered the master, "All and I have observed these from my youth. I thought that was interesting how he made that observation that I have observed these commandments from my youth. So in other words, he was telling Jesus, I have tried to keep these commandments. And then I think you see a little glimpse into Jesus, his love for people. It says, verse 21, Jesus beholding him loved him. I have a feeling when Jesus beheld him and loved him that there was a twinkle in his eye as he, here's someone that is almost going to be a disciple of mine. And he goes on to say, there's one thing, one thing that thou lackest. Go thy way and sell what thou hast and give to the poor. Jesus didn't beat around the bush. He put a point blank. He said, get rid of those possessions, those things that are foremost in your mind and your heart that's driving you, that makes you tick. Get rid of them. And go sell and the money Give it to the poor. He says, once you're done doing that, then come follow me. That is how this man could have eternal life. There is a price first that we need to pay. And we see the response of this man He was crestfallen. He was not happy with that response of what Jesus gave him. It says he went his way. He was grieved. He was sad because he had great possessions. There was something else in his heart, in his life, that was keeping him from full surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus goes on to say, how hard is it for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God? And you know, the disciples, that error back then, coming from their time frame, their, their culture, their setting, riches were an indication of God's blessing. 
So if, if this man was rich and had kept these commandments, but yet he was supposed to go and sell, this made confusion for the disciples. They're like, well, how can it, how can someone be saved then? God's kingdom, the value system, is different. It's not the value system that we think it is or that we materially think it is, but it's flip-flop. It stands on its ear. It's backwards. You can be the poorest person here on this earth, but yet you could be the richest man in eternity. But you could be the richest man here in this world, but then you'd be the poorest man in eternity. This encounter with this rich man is a teachable moment. I don't think the point is that rich people, that the, that the, idea is that rich people can't be saved. Rich people can be saved. But it says it's hard. It's harder for them to enter into the kingdom. This man in this story comes to Jesus asking, what must he do to inherit eternal life? And he comes with the backing of all his status, his possessions, and he is able to confirm that and by far obedience to the letter of the law, he has, the, the letter of the law is concerned. He has done everything. He has checked all the boxes. He has done everything that he knows that he thinks is right. If anyone qualified to enter in the kingdom of God, surely he is. That's what he thought. But Jesus says, there is one thing that is standing in the way. And this man is disappointed with that one thing that is standing in the way. It's the very thing that is going to prevent him from entering into the kingdom of eternal life with God. His attachment to his possessions, his status, his prestige, that goes with being a part of the wealthy elite, prevents him from following Jesus and thus from having eternal life that he so desperately wanted. Again, why did he ask that question? So the question for us is, what are the things in our lives that we allow to be essential, to be our security, our identity, that we can't or won't give up. As we consider the cost of following Jesus, maybe 
a better way to say it is what does it cost not to follow Jesus? There is the eternal life. God has promised us eternal life with him if we follow his way. Not my way, but his way. What would you rather, be rich and famous for a brief period of time to spend eternity in torture? Or would you rather live a life of serving others, maybe not taking such a high road, and then spending eternity with God? I think the answer is very simple. And I feel like probably for all of you, that's why you're here. You have that desire. I challenge you to ask Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? And then if the Spirit prompts you and points out areas that need changed, that need given up, let go, are you going to follow through with that? Or are you going to turn away and be grieved and disappointed and miss that potential of spending eternity away, spending that eternity with God? Take the most experience that you have ever had that in the hardest heart Take the hardest experience that you have ever had, the worst experience, and then times that by a million, and then add eternity to it, which eternity goes forever and ever and ever. That's beyond my mind. I can't even get a, a, a hold of that. And that's a small example of what hell would be like. But then take the best experience that you've ever had, the most enjoyable experience that you had times that by a million you can times it by whatever number you want then add eternity to that and that could be a, saw, a small glimpse of what heaven will be like get the difference we will end up in one or the other we do nothing about it our sin nature given from Adam our fallen nature we will be doomed for hell but we have to make a conscience choice to follow and serve Jesus we have to decide the cost eternal life with God or eternal life with Satan. Turn to John chapter 6. Another passage I want to look at. John chapter 6 verse 47. Here Jesus is talking about him being the bread. We're going to read through verse 71, the end of the chapter. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. 
I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, and that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am that living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? What? And if ye shall see the Son of Man ascending up where he was before, it is the Spirit that quickeneth, and the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it be given unto him of my father. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he is that should betray him, being one of the twelve. It's interesting to take note of the dialogue with Jesus and the disciples and the people that were around him. In verse 61 the disciples were murmuring. This isn't making sense. In my mind, it's not making sense. How is this possible? And then he explains and illustrates it a little bit more. And then in verse 66, we find the disciples turning away. It says, for, for that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. The cost they had considered was too high. Was it? Then he asked the twelve disciples that he had chosen, Are you going to turn away too? I like Peter's response. 
He says, Jesus, who are we going to follow? Who are we going to turn to? He recognized that Jesus had eternal life. If Jesus would come here this morning, be here in person, and would have a dialogue with us on this subject, and he would see into your heart and my heart, I ask myself, would I turn away? We have God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to help us, to show those areas that we need work on, areas that we need to let go of. I ask God's Spirit to show you, to show me, those areas that we need repentance of. Maybe you are one of those people that, just like this young man, have done everything in that box from your youth up. You have checked everything in the box. But there's one problem. And what do you do with it? Consider the cost. The Bible uses the illustration of a wife, or a, of a man going to build a tower. Is it not wise for him to consider the cost of a tower before he builds it? It would be foolish for him to lay the foundation then run out of money to continue it. It would be a mocking stock. Joining the ranks of Jesus Christ this morning means full surrender to his will, his plan, his way, 100%, no holding back anything. Consider the cost between not doing it versus doing it. Hope this was an encouragement to you in your Christian walk. It was an encouragement to me. Don't be like the disciples that turned away and said it's too hard. But take Peter's response and say, who would we follow if we turn away? You, Jesus, have eternal life. There are things that can come into your life, circumstances, situations, whatever it may be. I don't care what it is. That can help change your value systems, can change your perspectives, can change your zeal, your desire. What you thought was important, maybe is not important. Those things that God brings into your life, allow them to be the channels that they need to be to help encourage you and grow in your walk with Him.